0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Podcast. I'm Adam and I had the opportunity to interview Kevin Kimley. Kevin is the Rasseter Chair of Agricultural Entrepreneurship at ISU, the Director of AgEI and a professor in Iowa State's Economics Department. He also co-founded the Ag Startup Engine. Kevin's been an entrepreneur all his life and we had the opportunity to talk about his past projects, Ag Startup Engine successes, and his work as a professor. I enjoyed this conversation, and I really hope you do too. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome back to the Innovators Podcast. Today, we are joined by Kevin Kimley, who currently serves as the Rastater Chair of Agriculture Entrepreneurship at Iowa State University, the Director of the Agriculture Entrepreneurship Initiative, and a teaching professor in the Department of Economics. Hi, Kevin, and thank you for joining us. Good to be with you. Uh, Yeah. Could you just maybe go through some of those titles that I listed and what you do for Iowa State? Sure.
1: Um, The College of Agriculture and Life Sciences made a commitment to agricultural entrepreneurship. And so a donor who is also an agricultural entrepreneur, Bruce Rastetter gave a significant gift. And so the chair position that I hold designates a leadership position in helping the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences develop and implement agricultural entrepreneurship programs. But then I have a faculty position, too, a professor position, too, and that is in the Department of Economics. And then there is a program called the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative that houses not just me, but other people on a team that are working with students and folks even outside the university on agricultural entrepreneurship.
0: Gotcha. And um, what what about your background got you to where you are Mm -hmm. today? A long and winding path. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, So I moved to Ames a long, long time ago to go to graduate school. And then my um, first part of my career was spent with a company then called Pioneer Hybrid International, a seed company. The brand is still around, but the company is called Corteva today. But Mm -hmm. I worked for about four years in business development, so really cut my teeth on the idea of doing deals, figuring out how a large agribusiness uh, develops and implements strategy, how they evaluate acquisitions, really just nuts and bolts business development things. But then in probably 1994, I got onto this brand new thing called the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point over the next couple of years, started to consider ideas over how the internet might serve as a platform for electronic commerce between agricultural businesses. And so in 1996, started a company called eMarkets that aimed to do just that, develop software for agricultural businesses to be able to manage contracts, um, order seed products, do the different things that agribusinesses do, either between themselves or between ag ag businesses and farmers, for example, buy and sell, do transactions, record contracts, but use software to make those processes more efficient. So um, did that for a while, um, had a nice run there when doing things via the internet from an electronic commerce perspective was brand new. So launched our first internet application in 1997, Um, built the company over this series of the next few years, thought for a time before the internet bubble popped, our e-markets might go public, got positioned for that, the bubble burst and Mm. the public appetite for um, companies like ours went down, the company was fine. But by that time, I had hired a lot of outside management anticipating um, going public. But when that didn't happen, decided to step away from the company that I started and let the outside managers that I hired continue to build that business. So I started another company in late 2001, early 2002, um, called Decision Commodities. We had, it was sort of like a hedge fund for commodities, if you will. So pricing algorithms to set prices for corn, soybeans, wheat, diesel fuel, natural gas. So mostly selling of grains, but also the buying of inputs, uh, energy inputs in particular. Um, sold that company in 2008 to Growmark, a regional cooperative agricultural business based in Illinois um, and planned to stay with the mothership, so to speak, for a certain time. I wanted them to free up just, a. amount of their balance sheet for me to play with for some of the trading (laughs) strategies that we had. Um, They weren't quite as keen on the risk profile of some of the things I was doing, although they were working really well as I was. And at the same time, Iowa State University in uh, late 2008 asked me to consider coming back to serve in the position that I now hold. So the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative was started with a gift from another alum, a guy named Roger Underwood. Um, who started a company called Becker Underwood and done quite well. Um, Roger must <clears throat> like Iowa State for the investments and the time that he spends. Yeah. But um, if I'm remembering his story correctly, you know, he thought if there's one thing that could have improved his experience as an undergraduate getting his degree in agricultural business, it would have been to expose him to some of the ideas in entrepreneurship that ultimately would characterize his career in starting a company and growing it over the course of time. hmm And so he started the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative with a gift in the 2005 to 2006 era. I remember because I knew Roger and maybe a little bit like him. I thought it was so cool. I actually sent him a note in the mail, the old way, (laughs) postal mail. And I said, gosh, if I would have had that when I was an undergraduate, that sort of program, and maybe some really cool classes, maybe I wouldn't have made quite as many mistakes (laughs) as what I've made. How cool is that? Exactly. And so much to my surprise, Um, and timing is everything when planning a rain dance. I sold the company, and so my time freed up. And Iowa State didn't consider my ADD-characterized career as being a disqualifier, I guess, for coming back and teaching classes and developing programming related to agricultural entrepreneurship.
0: Gotcha. Well, you've really kept busy over the years with (laughs) all those companies and ideas. It's really cool that you saw what the Internet was doing and kind of got on the forefront before, you know it got as big as it is today.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that innovators and entrepreneurs need to look for is you need to look for emerging spaces where you don't have to compete against more established players. Yeah. And, you know, and so the reason you do that, yeah, is to avoid competition. Mm -hmm. But of course, the hard part is, is that you will be trying to do things that probably nobody else has done before, which is neat, but that means it's hard.
0: Yeah. Nothing to base it off I mean, of.
1: There's nothing to copy off of, or very little anyway, although maybe you can take some inspiration from things that happen. But yeah, at that time, the internet was brand new. When we got our first deal, I mean, eBay was maybe starting to emerge for people to trade mostly, well, almost exclusively their junk on eBay. Yeah. Um, and PayPal guys were get, trying to get positioned, but I mean, otherwise you couldn't check your bank account balances. It was mainly just to surf and go see, and not that many people actually were on the internet. So when we launched our first application in 1997, most people were logging in via 56K modem. You can Google that if you don't know what that is, but it's a very slow way to log on to the internet. Yeah. And, And many of them logging on for the first time. So not only did we have to explain how to use the application that we created and launched in September of 1997, oftentimes we were like the help desk for a local ISP. Doubling up as an IT department too. (laughs) Providing advice on which service to use, what kind of a modem to get hooked up, what sort of a laptop to buy, what that strange noise was when you're (laughs) dialing up and getting connected through your modem and all that sort of thing.
0: Oh dang, that's really cool. (laughs) Um, So could you kind of touch on the Ag Startup Engine and uh, what you guys do there? Sure. So the Ag Startup Engine is a
1: venture capital fund, small venture capital fund, for agricultural technology ideas. So in probably early 2015, me and some of our supporters and observers who pushed me to try new things, (laughs) started to have conversations about the possibility of creating a fund that would invest in early stage agricultural technology ideas. And so when I was considering coming back to Iowa State, I spent some time talking to entrepreneurship programs at other universities and and the professors at those universities shared a lot about, you know, what worked well, what didn't. I was trying to figure out if I would find it sort of interesting and fun as well. And so I, I got a feel for that and it seemed kind of interesting. But if they got prickly on one question, it's when I would ask, do you have some examples of startups that your students have done? And the reply would be something to the effect of, well, you know, when somebody's 22, they're not ready to start a business. What we're trying to do is provide them with some ideas and skills so that, that can serve the them line, later down yeah. the line. When they think of whatever their idea is, they're, they're ready to do it. And, you know, I didn't start e-markets until I was 28, 29. So I, I get that. But still, if you have an entrepreneurship program worth its salt, you, probably should have some students I think that are ready to get something started and yeah. so much to my delight that's in fact what's happened. I would say from the College of Agriculture, you know uh, the highest proportion of students want to go back to their farms or their home communities and start something mm. and if they've figured it out right, um, it might be something that from a capital perspective they can do debt capital you know get a loan from a bank and And that's all cool. But we had some other smaller proportion of students that were interested in these higher risk and higher potential reward ag tech businesses like I have done. Right. And so we mentored them along. Um, Iowa State loves to publicize when students and former students are working on cool stuff. So some of those students got some publicity. And we began to ask the question, if we invested some small amounts early, would that help? And so we had an hypothesis that we would have three potential sources of of entrepreneurs to invest in. First is a student from Iowa State University that's working on an ag tech business. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've made some progress with a prototype. Hopefully they've gotten some indication from potential customers that they would be interested in buying, but they're a long ways away from revenue. They're a long ways from probably being ready for some of the larger funds to invest. But at the same time, they're trying to figure out how to navigate what comes next. They graduate from Iowa State University, and they're usually you know, talented young men and women. And so if they spend any time looking, they probably get a job offer. Yeah. And so, you know, could we compete against a job offer? Right. (laughs) And, you know, and that's both from sort of a financial perspective that, but then, you know, a little bit of our audience is mom and dad, you know, who just want their sons and daughters to sort of make their way in the world. It's like, well, if they can have 25 or $50,000 from a group of credible investors, will that help? And, And that's been the case. Second of all, there's hardly a week that goes by where I don't get a call from a student who's been in my class in the past or been involved in a program at the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative calling to ask some advice. And it might be reaction to a business idea. It might be oftentimes looking for connections to an engineer, to a programmer, to potential investors, whatever. But they're asking for connections and sometimes those ideas that they're working on are in the space of agricultural technology. Again, kind of those higher risk, but higher potential reward, sort of transformative um, technologies. And then third, we thought if we put together the right group of investors and then portfolio companies that we invest in, maybe we would attract some entrepreneurs to our sort of community that we wouldn't attract otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's in fact been the case. So we put together our first fund for Ag Startup Engine starting in 2016 and aim to invest over the next several years in, in 15 businesses. And that's what we did. Um, so not a big fund investing $50,000 in 15 companies. Yeah. Uh, so $750,000, but it's what the entrepreneurs in the community has done subsequently that's been the big deal. And, you know, so we now have a second fund, still investing in those early, you know, those $50,000 early stage ideas, mm-hmm. but then we've created a new mechanism for doing follow on investments up to 500,000 to invest alongside larger investors. Wow. Um, so what so, are some of
0: your more successful companies then, that have come out of it? Sure, I'll
1: provide two case studies cause it's the first two that we invested in and cause they're successful. So mm-hmm. we like to talk about those. <laughs> and so the first company was called Smart Ag. And so a, um, the entrepreneur and founder of that is a guy named Colin Hurd. So I'd first met Colin in a class that I teach entrepreneurship and agriculture. In that class, when he was a junior, the fall of his junior year, he developed an idea for a product called Tractil, something that would break the compaction layer behind tractors that pull really large scale planters. So these planters and tractors are so heavy if the soil's wet, it compresses the soil beneath the wheel tracks. And when the soil is compressed, the roots of the corn or soybean don't grow well. And mm. So if you can break that compaction layer, you should get better yield. And so he developed a prototype his spring semester of his junior year, improved that prototype his senior year, made the decision to start till. Um, scaled that company for a few years after graduation, but then sold it in 2015 to Yetter. So as we were starting Egg Startup Engine, we had a few of the investors, but to go to other investors, a natural question that they ask is, what might you invest in? So yeah. I had some examples of either current student projects or like Colin. Anyway, I asked Colin permission, could I put what your next idea is? And at that stage, he was thinking of autonomous farm equipment, something, but didn't quite know what it was, but called the company Smart Egg. So I put them in our slide deck.
0: Yeah.
1: Probably a month later, he's like, okay, I'm ready for my $50,000. <laughs> 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 he's an aggressive guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we didn't even have the fund put together, but yeah, we got the money put together before we even had the entity or anything figured out to get him going. Um, so in 2016, he got Smartag going. First $50,000 was from Ag's startup engine. Um, probably a year later, after developing some prototypes for a tractor that could drive itself, so essentially developing autonomy, software, plus the hardware it takes to right. kind of engineer, um, he developed another seed round. Yeah, and within a couple of years, his first application for his um, software was an autonomous grain cart. So when a farmer harvests, you have a combine harvester. Well, alongside that will pull a tractor pulling something called a grain cart, essentially a big tank. And if you can fill that from the combine, you can keep the combine moving instead of having to stop and fill the trucks. Gotcha. And so this worked the same way, except instead of a driver, in the tractor pulling a grain cart software drove it. Really cool. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I mean, yeah. in some ways it's sort of like, well, it's just another John Deere tractor pulling a grain cart, which is like, but then you look and like there's nobody driving. Right. <laughs>
0: and it's just a little freaky. And I mean, that is like definitely going to be the the future of farming for mm. what it sounds like I know John Deere is working on a lot of stuff like that and <laughs> it's uh it makes so much sense. I mean, you're only going to have so many people available on a farm and
1: labor savings. Yes. Yeah. And and the nature of farm equipment probably changes over the course of time, too. So anyway, he got that launched, was certainly one of the very early entrepreneurs to have something that was actually out in the field Mm -hmm. working. Um, And then eventually in 2019, um, a company called Raven Industries, a publicly traded company that at that at that time publicly traded it since has been acquired itself. But anyway, Raven bought SmartAg in 2019. So he worked on the company for about three years. And then sold it uh, in, a, in a successful exit as we call it in the yes. investment business. So that was the first one. Um, the second company we invested in is called Performance Livestock Analytics. So instead of crops like SmartAg, in and livestock. And so their solution was putting software into cattle feedlots. Mm-hmm. And so when farmers feed cattle at lar- fairly large scale um, feedlots, They mix various ingredients in a feed wagon and they get all mixed up. Then they put that in a truck and then put it in bunks that the cattle then eat from. And so what their solution did was first measure what was going into the feeder tank, what was getting mixed up. And if you punched in how much those ingredients cost, you would know what the value was that you were putting in your various bunks. And you could track that cost very carefully so that for each pin of cattle, you essentially knew what your break even was. Exactly. And so... They launched that, oh, 2017 or 18 Performance Beef was the name of their software product. And within two and a half years or so, they had more than all more than 20% of all cattle in the United States using their software. And wow. when I say use, I mean like use. Yeah. Like these farmers, because cattle feeding is a very intensive activity, mm-hmm. were like on their software for four to five hours every day. Wow. And so you could go to their office and they had a large screen and they had like GPS coordinates of everybody that was on their software. And so just throughout the Midwest and even you know That's in incredible. the plain states you could see where people are using their software to feed cattle. And you know, it was just cool when they first pitched us on the idea, probably naturally like all of us pitching a tech idea. We asked you know, who's going to be your first customers? And they said, young, progressive, large feedlot (laughs) operators. Well, it was exactly wrong as it turned out. Their first customers were older feedlot operators (laughs) and small feedlots,
0: relatively small. Um, But that makes so much sense. I mean, yeah, you're going to, older people are not going to be able to do the job as much. And then, Smaller people can't afford as well. They made the, the you know, they
1: did a beautiful job designing the user interface of the software so that it was simple enough for people to figure out really quickly. And, you know, so you'd see they essentially had it on an iPad, but it, a farmer's a cattle feeder's driving his feed truck along a bunk and he's got his iPad and he's punching the buttons, keeping track go. of everything. Yeah, then he can go figure out what his break even is on each pen of cattle and all that stuff and make marketing decisions that keep hopefully <laughs> make his operation more profitable. Um, yeah. But just more cool, because yeah, they're you, you know you can manage what you measure, and so they could measure a lot more than what they could before.
0: Right.
1: So in April of 2020, Zoetis, um, so a large animal health company, bought Performance Livestock Analytics. Um, and so, yeah, for both those companies, um, founders, employees, and investors did well. That was really cool. And then from an economic impact perspective, you know, we got two companies in the Ames community, Raven Industries and Zoetas mm-hmm. that we didn't have before, essentially through those acquisitions. Right. And so anyway, that, that's a case study of a couple of businesses that we've invested in um, our second fund. We aim over the next five years to invest in 40 to 50
0: wow.
1: businesses. So I think we've invested in nine, soon to be 10, probably 11 businesses so far. So in total, we've invested in almost 25 businesses to this point. But the companies have went on, aside from the exits to raise, I don't know what we're at, we're probably over $80 million in
0: follow on capital. Wow. So the, you know, the entrepreneurs have done just really great work. So yeah, those investments are definitely turning out well for you guys then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, I think, you know, I, I did not grow up with an ag background. And so I think, you know, you have kind of a different view of agriculture from that outside perspective. And so it's so interesting how much tech plays into the ag industry today. Um, Like from my perspective, like I didn't realize that growing up. And then it's only been, you know, in the last eight years or so that I've really learned more about the ag industry Mm -hmm. and seen just how much, you know, um, autonomy and uh, different softwares can really play into your businesses yeah i mean there's been different waves of
1: innovation i suppose you can think of it that way in agriculture (laughs) and one of the big ones certainly was just mechanization Mm -hmm. you know the ability to do more with less and so if we go back to the settling of iowa it was sort of one family per quarter section and so there'd be a house on every quarter section a family could more or less farm that um and that was good, but, you know, today way less than 2% of the U.S. population is involved in farming. Now, if you include ag business and kind of the rest of this, and the food business and all that stuff, it, it can be a little bit more than that. But essentially the productivity of agriculture enables very few people to provide the rest of us with food right? <laughs> so that we can work on other stuff. And, and you know, ag, Technology is sort of the next step in the process. And and so, in some ways, technology and agriculture is nothing new. When I started working in the seed industry back in the 1990s at Pioneer Hybrid, for example, biotech was new. So, using um, molecular uh, modification to do really creative things and make for better plants was was brand new. And so, and software, of course, is nothing new either. But yeah, taking technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence and applying those to autonomy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and self-driving tractors and that sort of thing. I mean, that takes it to a whole nother level. So that's just really cool to be a part of.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so when it comes to your experience in teaching, how do you promote innovation within your classroom and uh, engage your students? Well,
1: we learn by doing. And so we don't just, I mean, we certainly talk about and I tell enough war stories probably, but you know, the students have to experience it them themselves. And so in my entrepreneurship class, you know, we try to well, what we do in all of our programs is we approach entrepreneurship and innovation not just as sort of like a separate thing. And you know, when you think of entrepreneurship, for example, it you think of, okay, somebody who starts a business and and that is indeed the case, but we approach entrepreneurship as a behavior and as a lifestyle and mm-hmm. as a way of being. And it's something that can be applied whether you're starting your own business, which is certainly it, or if you're working for somebody else, uh, if you're trying to innovate at your university, right? (laughs) That isn't exactly a business, you know, or working in your community or church or whatever the case may be. And so we approach it as a mindset, as a behavior, as a way of being. And so I try to demonstrate that myself Mm and what I do. We try to reflect that in how we approach what we learn and what we do. So students in my class, you know, develop two or three ideas for new businesses. They learn how to pitch that idea and try to persuade others about it. They learn how to talk to potential customers and do what we call customer discovery. And then they learn how to develop a pitch deck, essentially a light business plan, I would call it. So instead of a final exam in the entrepreneurship class, during our finals time, I have multiple rooms going in some building and I have two panelists and six or seven students in each room and they pitch their business and that's that's their final. Wow. So students <laughs> the first part of the semester when I say no exam <laughs> are like, "Oh, that's so cool." But then I always see like in the week or two leading up to the final presentation, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I think this is worse." <laughs> <laughs> Cuz they get nervous, but then always on the last day they're energized and I know most certainly the panelists, the you know, bankers and business people and entrepreneurs and investors that I bring in to serve as panelists, they get energized by it and the students do as well. Because being able to discuss ideas and and seeing young people <laughs> developing kind of their ideas, because part of it, you know, and part of what I also do in the class is try to get students a little bit further down the road to understanding what they're interested in. And, and of course, that's what a lot of university is. And you do that in multiple ways. Sometimes it's by learning what you're not interested in. And it's like, well, okay, I can cross that <laughs> off my list, which doesn't always feel good. But it's like, that actually is progress. But other times it's, it's really discovering something that they feel strongly about. And so it sometimes takes some convincing, but students will at times, I think, feel like I'm keeping like a secret book of good ideas and I'm not sharing them. And it's like... I've got all kinds of ideas for businesses, but I can only work on so many. But even if I provided you with sort of an idea that I think is good, if you don't care about it, you're not gonna work on it. Exactly. <laughs> and so each one of us has a capacity for creativity and imagination. And and that's what I think entrepreneurship is about. And and so uh, there's n- I, I don't disallow people saying anything in the class. hmm but I will push back if students say one thing because this happens occasionally. And that is if they say, well, I'm not creative. Mm. And like I'm married to an artist. And so I, I know that oftentimes that's where it comes from. Like I'm not I can't draw or make beautiful things. I can't sing. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's when we think about creativity, I think oftentimes we think about it from an artistic perspective. And it certainly is. Mm-hmm. But I think beauty can be made <laughs> in business as well, you know, yeah. in, in whatever corner of the world. And so to help students begin kind of that process of understanding where their creative space can be and what they deeply care about and what they want to spend time about is where we're
0: trying to go with our courses. That's incredible. I think it's it's kind of cool that that you're emphasizing creativity so much, just because I feel like, you know, a lot of times I talk to people uh, like other college students, and it seems like that a lot of their goal is just to get out quickly and make money as fast as they can. And I think, you know, if you're not creative or if you're not finding your passion, then like, what's it all for? <laughs> and so I think uh, it's it's really cool to hear you emphasizing that so much in a class for entrepreneurship where, you know, you're getting a lot of people that are probably having maybe that mindset at first.
1: Mm hmm. I mean, when I interviewed for this position, normally when a professor interviews for a position, you'll present your research program. Well, I had not done economics-based research <laughs> since I was in graduate school, and I published some stuff, but it was pretty old by the time I came back here. So I said, what do you want me to present? And they said, well, present your vision for what you want to do with the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative and programs mm-hmm. in the College of Agriculture and at Iowa State related to entrepreneurship. And so I, I did that. And so a professor in the Q&A part of it asked an interesting question and it was fine, but he said, so our students who get degrees in economics or agricultural business, the two majors in the department, get really good jobs. (laughs) Like they get paid really well. And like the placement rate is like off the charts. Like everybody gets a job. Like why do we need entrepreneurship? (laughs) And I said, good question. A little snarky, but good. (laughs) He said, I know that students from this department and Iowa State generally do really well because I've tried to hire them at my companies <laughs> and it's hard because I have to like compete with DEER and ADM and name you know whoever your big name companies and right. oftentimes I can't pay quite the same or have to do heavier commissions or whatever it depends upon the position of course um, so I know they have alternatives and I know employers have to compete for them but I know one other thing I know that within three to five years, those same students who easily got a position and probably had competing offers are going to be sitting in their desk, their pickup truck, whatever, where, whatever the nature of their position is, asking, Is this all there is? Mm. And that can come from a variety of different spots. Sometimes the company is not a good fit, sometimes it's a bad boss, but oftentimes it's none of those things. The job's actually okay and it's reasonably challenging and engaging. But it's not meaningful. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, what do we want to do with our programs? Well, we want to equip students, hopefully a bit better, (laughs) to understand what's meaningful to me. And whether I'm working for somebody else or creating my own thing, how do I create meaning? And I think that comes largely from taking responsibility for bringing kind of new things to the world that leverage, you know, each of our kind of individual i call them superpowers but i think each of us has within us some really specialized cool stuff that we can do but oftentimes we're too bashful or fearful to like put those things into the world because it's sort of sort of like you have to put yourself out there right or express a confidence in yourself that
0: are midwestern humility (laughs) doesn't doesn't allow allow. (laughs) right yeah right right. i think it's it's interesting i feel like a lot of people just kind of put themselves in a box sometimes um and they don't allow like something that they are really good at shine because it doesn't it isn't as clear as you know someone who's really good at accounting (laughs) or like has that uh really great communication skill set um but yeah that's It's very cool i also also like how you spoke about how you can be uh an entrepreneur while still working for a company or still working under someone because that's another thing that i hear a lot about entrepreneurship is like i want to start a business um which that's that's fantastic if you have the idea and the motivation to do it but if you uh there's nothing wrong or there's no way that you but you can still be an entrepreneur while working under a boss Absolutely. And
1: yeah, the term entrepreneur sometimes gets used and I don't care whatever you call the term. But, you know, if you are exercising those entrepreneurial skills and behaviors within an organization, even if it's a really big company or something like that, it's going to take you places. And if for some reason they don't value that, that really is not a company you wanna be at anyway. <laughs> you need to find a new place. <laughs> and, and and maybe that's part of what, you know, what we're trying to expose students to as well. I mean, it, <laughs> there, there, there's the good side, you know, sort of the the, the hero's journey of, of being an entrepreneur and bringing a in new innovation to the world and sort of having the persistence and overcoming the odds that are against you and all of that. But there's sort of the other part in that <laughs> the world, you know, the entrepreneur looks at the world and says, there's gotta be a better way at something, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is to solve some problem. But often, but the world is always gonna look back and say, <laughs> not so fast. <laughs> I mean, as entrepreneurs, we can look at the world and not like, you know, and think that there's an improvement, but it, you, you also have to respect the status quo. The world works the way it does for a reason. Now, you may not like the reason, you may not like the way that it works, you may see that there's an improvement, But the world tends to fight back Mm. (laughs) and that can be circumstances. It can be just trying to overcome scientific or technical challenges. But oftentimes it's the people issues, Um, you know, and this happened to me when I had too much of a naive kumbaya sort of attitude at my first company. It's like, well... We're going to create e-markets, and it's going to be this company that implements electronic software. And wouldn't it be great to work with the biggest names in agricultural business like Pioneer Hybrid, like Cargill, like ADM, like Bungie, Mm -hmm. like ConAgra. And the answer is, yeah, that would be cool. But I found out that sometimes those big companies don't like startup companies to play in their sandbox. (laughs) (laughs) And their first reaction is going to be to kick sand in my face just to see how i react or whatever and anyway it you know the, the world <laughs> can fight back against new and creative stuff and so part of developing you know your innovation skills your entrepreneurship skills is just figuring out a little bit of what that feels like and <laughs> some ability to overcome to navigate to understand that objections happen and how to overcome them
0: right Okay, so then bringing it back to the ag startup engine, um, post uh, the companies going through the engine, what is your involvement still look like? We're still trying to
1: figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we haven't been at it that long, but you know, we knew we didn't want the program to be an accelerator. I mean, accelerators are fine, but we didn't want that sort of the standard ninety-day accelerators like a Y Combinator or a um, tech stars, you know, we wanted it to be something different, but we, we did want to create community. We wanted people to be a part of something. So it started out, you know, in the beginning, what did it look like? Well, we got some office space in the research park and sort of subsidize it through egg startup engine so that our companies could move in and put a bunch of our entrepreneurs like Colin Hurd, who founded smart egg, like mm-hmm. Dustin Balsley, one of the co-founders of performance livestock analytics, Martin Gross with Grosswind Technology, like Jackson Kimley, my son, who has a company called Midland Seafood. And we were putting those folks together so that they can just compare notes over the course of time. But my first method, we eventually called it a monthly round table. I don't know what it was, but I would show up like on a Thursday afternoon at 4 or 4.30 with a 12-pack of beer and like <laughs> get everybody around the table and just the conversations were really easy. It's like, let's do two things. Do you have a win from the last 30 days? Hopefully there's something at least small, although sometimes there's not. And then the second question was, what are you struggling with? And there always was a lot to talk about there. Mm -hmm. And so since I've been around for a while, hopefully I can provide some perspective to the entrepreneurs on what they're dealing with. But what's been really cool, now that we have a larger number of entrepreneurs, is to watch them share information, perspectives, contacts, hold one another accountable, Call BS when they need to. Yeah, um, yeah, and and so anyway, we continue as just our number of entrepreneurs goes up. As the pandemic happened, and maybe not everybody was able or could or wanted to get together. And then as we've gotten some companies who maybe aren't right here in the research part, getting them together. So we do a combination of things. We still do kind of roundtable formats under the, you know, what's a win, what's a struggle. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we'll bring in guest speakers, sometimes virtually, sometimes in person to uh, kind of focus in on some hard lesson that they've learned, provide an historic case study over how they got through something. Maybe talk about a practice that worked really well for them in hiring and evaluating talent. Anyway, whatever the case may be. But it's always kind of working on how do we learn from one another? How do we learn from others? How do we continue to build great businesses?
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I think the collaboration there is really cool. I've talked with a few incubator systems, and mm-hmm. it's it's cool to see, uh, yeah, the individual companies working with each other, and these people that are trying to start up their own uh, industries, and maybe they have contacts, like you were saying, that, mm-hmm. and then it's cool to see people coming back to the program that helped them and help them help the new people get their start too. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, question: Where do you think you see the ag Uh, Ag Startup Engine in about five years? (laughs) Good question. We're debating some of that now. Um, You know, and this is
1: beginning to happen, but hopefully we, the Ag Startup Engine is a part of a larger regional network of investors working on early stage deals, you know, and so we're, we're trying to affect what happens right here in central Iowa, but we're also trying to help develop capacity for deploying risk capital you know, in our industry, agriculture, but in the Midwest, you know, the way that I count the Midwest, if you think of it as sort of Ohio, over to Nebraska, South Dakota, down to Kansas and everything in between, you know, that part of the United States has 25% of the U.S. population. It's got a disproportionate number of headquarters for the Fortune 500 companies. so we've got some serious business stuff going here. And from an agriculture perspective, obviously a huge proportion of agriculture, but it's got four to 5% annually of venture capital deployed. And of course, San Francisco Bay Area, Boston area, New York tends to have 75 to 80% of all (laughs) venture capital, you know, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, But we can punch way closer to our weight in the Midwest. It isn't that we don't have the capital here, but learning how to deploy that effectively because it is risky, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody wants to invest or should invest a whole bunch in that, but still we can do a whole lot better. So I, I'm hoping you know, that we provide an example, and I, I think we are to some others over deploying risk capital. And then, you know, I hope that in five years we're making much bigger bets. So I, I want to continue to provide, you know, really early stage financing like we are, but I would love Egg Startup Engine to be a part of putting bigger checks out there as well. So how big do I hope the fund is in five years? I don't know. (laughs) But a lot bigger than the 5 million or whatever we sort of consider our second fund is at
0: today. Right. Um, That that reminds me, you mentioned earlier talking about how you went around to different universities and to try to see how their incubators were working. Mm -hmm. Um, Has anyone reached out to you since starting this program about a similar thing? Oh, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And professors and university programs are all about sharing and all that stuff. So that's been really good. But yeah, what's happened is that there are other colleges of agriculture and other universities like Iowa State that are beginning at least or maybe even past beginning doing entrepreneurship sort of programming. So my other alma mater where I did my undergraduate is the University of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So they were the second ag university to have a program that's called the engler agribusiness entrepreneurship program their donor is a guy named paul engler Mm -hmm. Um, and so we love to collaborate with them but i just recently returned from a meeting where you know there's an ag entrepreneurship program at Penn State University, There's, they've started to do an agricultural entrepreneurship sort of programming in the Ag Business Department at North Carolina State University. And so I spent a day with them several years ago to just brainstorm sort of what they could leverage and what they could do that was new. Yeah. And so it's cool to see that happening
0: in a lot of different universities. Absolutely. Kind of does it kind of make you feel like your hard work is paying off? <laughs> um, it does, it does. Um,
1: I mean, it. I'm an evangelist for entrepreneurship, whether it's in agriculture or anything else. I suppose, but I, you know, I strongly believe that America, when it's at its best, is entrepreneurial, innovative, and and again, you know, I think oftentimes because it is such an American trait, it's like, well, of course. But <laughs> you don't have to look very far in other parts of the world or look far back in history where. The entrepreneurs the business people the tradesmen the farmers were really looked down upon by others as it not being a worthy thing to do right um so you know continuing to build capacity and students that sit in classes or in our extracurricular programs con- continuing to do outreach programs like egg startup engine that actually have economic impact out in the world continuing to speak on topics for doing things different. (laughs) I think that's all important. You know, when I first was starting in 2009 here at Iowa State, I went back to Silicon Valley to visit with some of the former investors from my companies and to ask them, you know, what should a entrepreneurship program at a university worth its salt look like (laughs) from your perspective? And uh, I went to an event at Stanford University that of course, from a university perspective, is at the heart of Silicon Valley. And there was a venture capital kind of a conference thing going on. And I don't remember exactly what the panel was, but the gentleman was the head of the Consumer Electronics Association. So this is July 2009. Mm-hmm. So think of the financial meltdown. That was what well, you probably are too young to remember. But anyway, there's a mm-hmm. macroeconomic financial meltdown around the mm-hmm. housing crisis that's going on at the time. Right. Anyway, this guy's a free market sort of guy. And so he's on a bit of a rant against the government bailouts of private businesses like General Motors and some Mm -hmm. of those things. And so he talked about that his good friend had been CEO of CompUSA that had for a number of years been a major force in retailing computer and computer equipment and software and stuff like that. But they had had to declare bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. They got in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, he said that really hurt, took out one of our really important members. But, you know, that's the way it goes. (laughs) And... And i'm kind of shaking my head because i'm kind of a free markets guy i'm like yeah you know I'm, I'm sort of with this guy i'm not into bailouts and he says you know we don't want consumer electronics to become a more abound not entrepreneurial industry like agriculture <laughs> 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 like hey dude wait a minute i'm from agriculture are we not entrepreneurial anyway he doesn't know anything about agriculture. And, and I get where the perception may come, the public perception around subsidy programs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it also, um, maybe with a bit of a chip on my shoulder said, okay, you know maybe there are some ways that the industry that I've always worked in agriculture can be more entrepreneurial. And so be, being able to speak on those sorts of things, being able to celebrate the different thinkers and the change makers is part of what we do but then you know again equipping students who leave iowa state university and go out and make things happen in the world to be prepared to play that role in whatever part of the world they care about and go back to yeah it's definitely a cool part of what
0: i'm able to do that's a that's awesome um you've kind of touched on this a lot throughout the episode so far but uh our, the last question that we really like to ask is, uh, how would you define innovation? So in your in your one sentence definition, how would you define innovation?
1: Bringing new value to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, it's a flashback to when I first came to Iowa State University, but um, I went to the department chairs around the different departments in the College of Agriculture just to introduce myself and to kind of get their take. And, kind of create a vision for how we build out the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative. And so Paul Lassley at that time, who's retired now, was the chair of the Department of Sociology. And I'd known Paul from when I was a graduate student here and knew him from the community and he's a very big character. And so we had fun talking, but um, as part of his role as department chair for sociology, he oversees the criminal justice major. So I don't know if this is where it came from. Anyway, he kept asking me questions around entrepreneurship is really about breaking rules right it's like well yeah i mean part of it can be i guess or breaking conventions however you want to think of it he's like well what's what's like the difference between a criminal and an entrepreneur and (laughs) and i could not get him off of that it's like entrepreneurs (laughs) anyway anyway what i couldn't articulate that day is this whole notion of you know what is an entrepreneur well yeah maybe they break some rules occasionally but what are they trying to do what's an innovator trying to do they're trying to bring new value to the world criminals are extracting value from others I mean, mm. no matter what the crime is. That's the fundamental difference. And so innovators are trying to find a way to, to bring new value to the world. But again, it's it's hard. It's difficult because it's new <laughs> because sometimes parts of the world don't want to see it because it may replace, you know, something that another mm-hmm. company or another person is doing, you know, or just people don't like
0: change. <laughs> That's true, as a general rule. Right. Oh well, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for talking. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to plug or announce before we close out? No, just thank you for doing this. Um, you know, we've loved egg Startup Engine, but
1: anyway, the the research park and all the great work that businesses and entrepreneurs do there are just a fantastic part of the whole community and such an important part of, of trying to be an entrepreneurial innovative community
0: thank you yeah thank you have a great day see you next time okay thank you mm-hmm.